Well, we are talking today about our CBC mission, uh, what we are all about as a church. And hopefully, as you come in the doors of the church, you look at that wall on your right that has that big uh, board, and you realize that that's there for a reason. Our mission as a church is inviting people to follow Jesus as we impact our community and world. And as Brittany said, if I had to boil that down to one word, it's invitational. What does it mean to be invitational? Uh, Somebody once said that mission statements need to be memorable, because if they're not memorable, then chances are you're not doing it, you know? So many times companies, organizations come up with this grand vision statement or mission statement and they stick it on a plaque on the wall and no one even remembers it or they file it away in a drawer you know, or a cabinet and that's the end of it. But we want our mission to be something that is really our, our marching orders, what we're all about. So much so that we don't do ministries or programs or activities here if they don't accomplish that mission. Because that's the driving thing. And really, it boils down to two things as a church. Inviting people into the kingdom, inviting people who don't know God right now, don't know how to have a relationship with Him, inviting them into a relationship with God through Jesus, and then inviting people into leadership. Inviting people to consider to be a leader who not only leads, but it grabs other people to become leaders as well. We're going to talk about that today. Most of us love to receive invitations, uh, letters, cards in the mail that begin with, please join us. The honor of your presence is requested. Please reserve the following date. Please be our guests at such and such and such and such. We love things like that that invite us to be part of something. And the question today is, are we invitational people? And I think a mission statement like that often is daunting and kind of overwhelming because it's hard to go from zero to 60 in six seconds. Like, how do I go from barely knowing somebody to inviting them to follow Jesus? And I would say that that big invite is made a lot easier with all the little invites along the way. And little invites do not have to be explicitly spiritual or deep It can be, hey, you want to come hang out at the park together and let our kids play? You want to go play golf? You want to go work out together? Do you want to come to my house and and have a meal? You know, just a million different invites that are inclusive, inviting people to come and do life together. And on the basis of the relationships that we build and nurture come the grander invites. And really, it's all about establishing trust and credibility. Trust and credibility. Letting people know us authentically, not putting on some fake exterior, but letting them know our joys and our our struggles and our challenges and come to a place of trust and credibility where when we extend a big invite, it has has a tone of credibility to it. Uh, It's engaging because they admire or respect the, the person that we are. They know that perhaps if they go to church with us on Sunday, uh, that we're going to be the same type of person during the week. It's not the church person and then the midweek person. That there's consistency, consistency of character, and how huge that is. And so, basically I want to talk today about what it means to be invitational. There's an outline for you in the bulletin if you want to take notes. And that very first point is invitational. If I had... To boil our mission statement down to one word, it's invitational. 
invitational. Jesus said in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 19, or scripture records for us. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love how Jesus goes. First of all, he goes to them. He's not sitting waiting for them in the synagogue. Chances are these two fishermen wouldn't have gone into the synagogue because they were unclean. They were handling fish and stuff, and they weren't ceremonially clean. They probably weren't educated to the point where they would have felt comfortable in the synagogue. Jesus goes to them on their turf, and he doesn't say, hey, you want to be a carpenter? Because I'm a carpenter. I worked with my dad for 30 years with stone and rock and wood, and hey, let me show you what it means to be a carpenter. I'll help you go attract other carpenters. No, he goes to fishermen... And he says, follow me, and I'll help you fish. But not just for fish, for people. I'll give you a vision of what it means to take what you do and what you're good at to a whole other level. I love that. I love how extending invitations to other people to follow Jesus begins with simple invitations like that. And as I said, there's two Invitations that we constantly want to be extending to people, to people outside of church, to people far from God, to people who claim to not have a relationship with God, that they might consider what it means to be part of God's kingdom. And then for those that know the Lord, what does it mean to not just sit in a pew or be on the sidelines, but get in the game and become a leader? And not just become a leader, but go after other people and help them to become leaders. It's really what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach them to others also. It's a chain reaction. What I've entrusted into you, I want you to entrust into other people. But not just anybody, not just someone who's going to take the baton and sit on it or drop it, but someone who will in turn pass that baton on to someone else. That's visionary thinking. Don't let it die. Don't let the chain reaction stop. And reaching lost people, which is really, we're talking about discipleship and evangelism, you know, in quite simple terms. Jesus said to his disciples in John 17, verse 20, he's praying to the Father and he says, Father, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning my disciples alone, but for those who believe in me through their word that they may be one even as you, Father, and, and I are one, you and me and I and you, that they also may be in us and so that the world may believe that you sent me. I love that. Jesus, before he left this earth, he's in the upper room, John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 with his disciples, right before they sing a song and go out to the Mount of Olives where he's arrested and then tried and crucified. That's where it all begins. And he's up in that upper room giving them his final words. And he's modeling prayer for them. He's talking to the Father and they're just sitting there getting to be a part of that. (laughs) What a cool thing that would have been. He says, Father, I don't pray for these alone, but for all those that they're going to reach And you know, by extension, he was also praying for you. He was praying, as you are a disciple of Jesus, as you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus prayed in advance for all the people that you're going to reach through his help and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
He's still interceding for that. He sits at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, and that's exactly what he's praying for because lost people matter to God. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Huge. Well, did you ever consider that God wants this more than you and I do? He, he's, he's rooting for this. He's, he's cheering us on. And, and, you know, I believe Scripture records at least three different types of invitations. This is still number one on your outline. I'm going to give you some extra stuff. But I, I see three different types of invitations in the Gospels primarily. The first type of invitation is a come and see. Come and see. See it for yourself. You don't even need to have me there, but go and check this out for yourself, this, that type of invitation. We see this in John 1, where Jesus turned and saw these guys following him, and he said to them, what, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says to them quite simply, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Like, Jesus, where do you hang out? Where do you call home? He's like, come and see. Come and check it out. Come and follow. It's the same discussion that happened in John chapter 1 when some of the disciples went to Nathaniel and they said, we think that we found the Messiah, the Christ, the the anointed one, the one that was prophesied about, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, are you kidding me? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And how do they respond? Come and see. Come and see. They don't get into a big debate with him. Well, you know, statistically, five out of ten amazing people come out of Nazareth, you know, and it has some of the best synagogues and some of the best schools. And, you know, so come and see. How often do you and I lose people in debates and arguments and theological discussions instead of just saying, check it out? I mean, we do that with anything else. Hey, I saw this great movie. Go, go check it out. I went to this amazing restaurant. You should go try it. You know, we do that with all sorts of things in life. But with our Christianity, with our faith, we feel like we got to just beat somebody over the head with the whole Bible and kind of convince them on every point before it's possible for them to come to God or have a relationship with God instead of a simple come and see. The second type of invitation that I see in the Gospels is a follow me invitation. It's a come join me. Come join me. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says this, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's not about me, I'm just a conduit. I'm just a vessel. But I'm trying to follow the Lord, and so as I try and follow him, if you need a a flesh and blood tangible example, follow me. And know that I'm taking you to Jesus, because that's where I'm going. That's who who I'm following. So come and join me. Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. If you need a model, if you need a pattern, look at us. Brothers and sisters, follow us, because we're following the Lord. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord 
or of me, his prisoner. But join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Join me in suffering and following Christ's example. Don't join me or don't do something that I'm not doing, but join me in what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything or calling you to do something I'm not doing myself. And so come join me. Howard Hendricks was a beloved professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He wrote a book called Men of Integrity. He says that everyone should seek to have three individuals in their life. A Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. I love that. He says, a Paul is someone older who is willing to mentor you, to build into your life. Not someone who's smarter, smarter or more gifted than you, but somebody who's been down the road. Somebody willing to share their strengths and weaknesses. Everything they've learned in the laboratory of life. Someone whose faith you'll want to imitate. That's a Paul. He says, a Barnabas is a soul friend. Somebody who loves you and encourages you, but is not impressed by you. They're still able to, to hold you accountable, to keep you honest. And finally, a Timothy is somebody that you're pouring into, that you're investing into. And we have such a great example of that, of Paul pouring into Timothy in the books in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. And Howard says, do you have these three types of people in your life? Someone older, wiser, been down the road that's pouring into you. Somebody else that's encouraging you and loving you and holding you accountable. And then somebody that you're investing in and that you're challenging, that you're wanting to replicate that whole process and cycle with. Well, there's come and see invitations, there's follow me invitations, and there's go and testify invitations. Like, now you go out, you know, you saw... And you, you saw it for yourself, you joined me, now you go out and do it, you don't even need me. And that's the nature of this. Go testify, go invite others. Paul talks about this in Acts 22, verse 15. He says, For you will be a witness for Jesus to all men of what you have seen and heard. Being a witness, testifying is easy. It's, what have you seen, what have you heard? What has God done in your life? How has He shown His faith? We sing about his faithfulness, how has he revealed that? How has he demonstrated that? Second Timothy 2.2, we already read that. The things which you have seen and heard in the presence of me and many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to entrust them to others. Pass it on. Pay it forward. First John 1.3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. 1 John 1.5, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. Like so often we come to church and we hear the announcement, we hear the, the witness of who Jesus is and what he's done, and then we just sit on it. We do nothing with it. The point of this is to, to gain knowledge that we might go and tell and pass it on. Jamie Winship, who's one of the teachers in the Identity Series that we're going to be, you're going to be watching, he and his wife, midweek in small groups. It's kind of a video format, very compelling, very engaging. And he talks about all of his travels, particularly in the Middle East, and working with terrorists and terrorist organizations, and at many times being held at gunpoint, and uh, he's going to be killed for his faith, and how God uses them. And so he's, he's out telling a story, and he notices that one particular 
place where he's at that there's this guy in the back of the room dressed in military garb. And, and so he'll be talking, and he's looking down at his notes, and he looks up, and all of a sudden the guy's not there. He's over there. And he keeps doing this throughout Jamie's message, and he realizes this guy's playing a mind game with me. And he's basically showing me I'm invisible. I know exactly when you're looking down at your notes, and I can put myself anywhere in this room, and you won't even know how I got there. And so afterwards, that guy comes up to him, and it turns out he was like the fourth highest ranking U.S. military person, whatever that amounts to. He never says the guy's name. But the guy basically says to Jamie, I don't believe you, you know? You just seem like somebody who's telling tall stories, and you know. but how do I know that you're for real, that you're authentic? that you are who you claim to be, and that God's really doing these things. And Jamie doesn't argue with the guy. He doesn't have a debate, doesn't convince. He says, why don't you join me on my next mission? So the guy joins him. And they end up somewhere else in the Middle East, and again, they're going to be killed for their faith. This guy was a Christian, the other military guy. He tells this amazing story of how the guy is down on his knees talking to this terrorist leader and, and leads him to the Lord. And, and so Jamie basically vindicates his ministry and what he's doing by inviting the guy to come join him, to come and see for himself. And really, that's, that's what it means to be invitational, to invite people to do life with us and to see how we process the challenges, the joys and the lows and how God comes to our aid and how he answers us and just being able to do that together in a community. Well, the second part of our vision or our mission as a church is not just invitational, but I see the second part of our mission, inviting people to follow Jesus as we impact our community and world, I see it as incarnational. And incarnational, just in simple terms, means coming to the same level. We speak of the incarnation when we talk about Jesus, who was God, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, coming down from heaven and taking on human flesh. The famous verse is John 1.14. And the Word, who was Jesus, became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus left His position of deity in heaven and came down through the manger in the form of a baby to Joseph and Mary, His earthly parents, and lived on this earth for around 33 years before he was crucified and ascended back to the Father. He dwelt and lived among people, and he showed us what God was like. Scripture says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten from the Father, he has revealed him. He has made him known. He has testified about him. That's what it means to be incarnational. I love in... Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus is up on a mountaintop. He's been praying to the Father, and all these crowds of disciples are gathering to hear him preach. And listen what Luke 6, 17 says. It says, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. So he's kind of in the pulpit, the Episcopalian pulpit, you know, which is kind of up there looking down on the masses. And instead of being in that position of exaltation and and authority up above them, he comes down to a level place. He's on their level. 
And there was a large crowd of disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And he spoke to them. Just such simple words, but communicate so much. He came down to a level place. Acts 17, 1 to 3, says, Now when they had traveled, meaning the disciples, through uh, Amphipolis in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. So here was Paul's pattern. Every time he went to a new city, he didn't like send out his disciples to say, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Come and hear what I have to say. No, he went to them. He was incarnational. He went to where they were. How often do we just sit in the church and expect people that don't know God to come to us? You know, it's kind of the field of dreams. If we build it, if we build a really cool church and youth room, they'll come and they'll check it out. And some do, but a lot don't. Because a lot have been damaged by the church. Never want to step foot in a church again because of what, what it represents or because of their perception of the judgment that they might face. So what does it mean for us to go outside the walls of the physical church and be the church? To go to where people are at. It's exactly what Jesus modeled. Incarnational. Incarnational. What does it mean for us to go to people? What does it mean for us to stand on level ground? The best way that I know how to do that is service. There's probably no better demonstration than servant leadership. I was reading this week how JetBlue CEO and founder David Neeleman believes in servant leadership. When he flies around the country on his airplanes, which he does quite regularly, he's just one of the crew members. He passes out snacks and blankets with the flight attendants. He sits in the cockpit and chats with the pilots. And he joins the team that cleans the planes. That's got to be a stinky job. He says, you can't ask employees to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. That's the CEO. And he models servant leadership for all of his employees. He models, I am not above doing what everybody else does. I'm on the team with you. I'm not just about squeezing profits out and and making hundreds of million dollars more than you make. I'm about serving. Dan Cathy, the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A was in Southern California checking out some new Chick-fil-A restaurants the company was building near Saddleback Church in Irvine. During his trip, he and Rick Warren stopped at the construction site of a new Chick-fil-A. And here's how Rick Warren tells the story. He says, we were looking at the building, and while we were there, we were hungry. So we went next door. I think it was a Taco Bell. It was some other fast food in competition with Chick-fil-A. We'd been out, our hands were all sweaty and dirty, and we went into the restroom to wash our hands. Then I watched Dan take out extra sheets of paper towels. This is the CEO of a chain of restaurants, mind you. I watched him pull them out, and I watched him for 10, 15 minutes clean the sinks and and the floors of the Taco Bell bathroom we were just in. And I looked at him and said, 
Thank you for doing that, Dan. And he said, Rick, we teach our staff to always leave any place they are at better than it was when they found it, whether it's our place or not. Rick says, nobody at Taco Bell and nobody at Taco Bell Corporate knew that the CEO of their competition just cleaned their bathroom for free. But I love that. Here's a guy that isn't pulling rank and like, do you know, you have any idea who I am? No. He's, he's being a servant. And he's modeling for another pastor what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a servant. Service is a huge way that you and I can impact our community and world. That's the second part of our, our mission. Inviting people to follow Jesus as we impact our community and world. How do we impact our community and world? By serving them. By adding value to every person that we meet. By everywhere we go, leaving it better than we found it. That's how we show that we are invested in this community. You know how most people outside the church view us? They view us as the holy huddle that's just waiting for the rapture so we can exit and, and get out of this world and that we have no investment in this place because we're, we're living for another place. And part of that's true. But you know what? If you really believe in a millennium, which Scripture talks about, the thousand-year rule of Jesus on earth, the timeline is Jesus comes back for his church, he establishes his kingdom on earth and reigns for a thousand years. And so... It's not the picture of why should I be invested in this earth because it's all going to be destroyed anyways and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, which is true, but it's after Christ's thousand-year reign. So why wouldn't we be invested in the people and the, the things of this earth because we're preparing for the reign of Christ? And we of all people should be modeling to our community and friends that we are invested. We're not just here temporarily and then we're out of here and we're ditching people and relationships and things. That's not what we want to model. Well, the third part of our, our mission, our mission is invitational, it's incarnational, and finally, I believe it's transformational. Transformational. John chapter 4, verse 42. And the people were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know now that this is the one. This is the one who is the Savior of the world. What's the context of that? The context is a woman at the well. Jesus meets a woman drawing water from a well. I believe she's there. She's a Samaritan woman. Jews usually don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus associated with her. Two things. She was not only a woman, she was a Gentile, not a Jew, and he associates with her. And it's, that well was built on the exact same spot where Jacob wrestled the angel and begged the angel not to leave until he blessed him. And many think that was Jacob wrestling with God. So I believe this woman is there trying to connect with her the ancestral history that she knows that this was a place where people encountered God, where people received blessing from God. And Jesus starts talking to her. And at one point she goes, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, because he's told her everything about herself. And he says, where's your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five previous husbands, and the one that you're with right now is not your husband. And I'm sure her eyes got huge, like, who are you? 
And she had a life-changing, transformational experience with Jesus. And if you read John chapter 4, she goes back to her city and she tells, I think I found the Christ. I think I found the Messiah, the Anointed One. And you may not know that chapter really well, but you've probably all heard Jesus say, Behold, the fields are white for harvest. And the thing that troubles commentators and theologians is Jesus said that at a time that wasn't harvest season. There would have been no crops that were ready for harvesting and picking that he pointed to, and that's really troubled a lot of people. But a few have insightfully kind of come up with this theory. John chapter 4 says, after this woman tells her town about Jesus, they are swarming to Jesus to find out more about him. And Jesus is on top of the hill when, he, when they... And the people in that day were clothed in white flowing garments. Jesus is on top of the hill and the whole city is ascending to him. And Jesus says, hey boys, let's get them. The fields are white for harvest. Look at this whole town coming to us to find out what it means to know God and have a relationship with him because of this woman and her testimony. That's what it means to be transformed. It means to have a relationship with God that is so powerful and transforming that you want to tell and testify to others and invite them to be part of that. Huge. I read a, a humorous story about transformation this week. A family from a remote area was making their visit to the big city for the first time. They checked in at a grand hotel and stood in amazement as, at the impressive sight before them. Leaving the reception desk, they came to the elevator entrance. They had never even seen an elevator before, so they just stared at it, unable to figure out what it was for. An old lady hobbled toward the elevators and went inside. The door closed. About a minute later, it opened again, and a gorgeous, stunning, good-looking young woman exited. The dad could not stop staring. Without turning his head, he patted his son's arm and said, Son, go get your mother. <laughs> Seriously, what does transformation look like? I want to suggest that transformation isn't just about us changing, about us becoming new, us becoming different, but it's about sharing that with someone else. And allowing someone else to see that and experience that. That's really what transformation is all about. And I read a story about a church this week. I don't even know where this church is, but a global missions expert went to this church. He was invited to speak at this church. And they were known for their hospitality to international students and their vision to adopt unreached people groups around the world, including the Miao people from southern China. And he tells this story of what happened when he visited the church. He said all over the church there were posters inviting people to pray for the Meow people. The posters had statistics about their people group, population information, how many known Christians there were in that area, and where they were located, which missionaries were working with these people. Every member of the church was committed to pray for the Meow people. As he was standing outside the banquet hall, a young man approached him and and asked, excuse me, sir, are you from this church? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm just visiting this church. And this is my first time here. And the guy said, me too. This is my first time in any church. I'm from the People's Republic of China. 
And I heard there was some food, so I came. I welcomed him to the United States and to the church, and he continued. I need to ask another question. What, what is this sign? He pointed to one of the signs that read, Pray for the Meow. I tried my best to explain, well, these people are followers of Jesus, and they're trying to help other people know about the love of Jesus. So they've invited their church to pray for this ethnic minority group from South China. The guy said, it is amazing. I said, what is amazing? I replied a little confused. He said, I am a meow. These are my people. He said, well, this church has been praying for you. I introduced him to the church leaders and the young man uh, that they have been praying for. And he says, God is at work. I love how this missions expert is going to a church to talk about missions. And this church already has a heart for missions. They're already praying for unreached people groups. they got the statistics and all the details so that people can pray informed. And as they're praying and as they're seeking God to have his way in this part of the world, in South China, God brings sovereignly into their midst one of the very people that they're praying for. And it, it just starts happening. God is not limited in his ability to reach people. You and I are just along for the ride. He doesn't need us to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, but we have the privilege and the benefit of being used by him. And if you've ever been used by God in the life of another person, be it small or be it big, you know when I say there is nothing more exciting and fulfilling in all of life than that. Nothing more exciting. And it doesn't mean that you're a a full-time minister working in a church or for a Christian organization. It means you're an ambassador of Christ. And no matter where you are in this world, no matter where you work, you see yourself as on a mission field, inviting people to follow Jesus. Invitational. That's the heart and the core of our mission as a church. Inviting people to follow Jesus as we impact our community and world. Inviting people into the kingdom of God. Inviting people to become leaders who not only lead, but find other leaders. Everything starts with a simple invitation. And these invitations are reinforced by incarnational living, going to where people are at, standing on their level. And all of this leads to transformation. The transformation of lives, the transformation of families, of communities, and eventually of this whole world. Let's pray.